0: Well, good morning, Gateway family. Good morning. It's great to see you. I don't know about you, my heart is already full this morning from all that we've already sung to the Lord as we've already prayed, and it's particularly celebrated Noah's baptism. Noah, we're, we're excited for it. I just want to add what everyone shared earlier. We rejoice at God's grace at work in your life and are so thankful for you and how God's already at work in you, but as we'll talk about this morning, through you also. And Jeremy, great job with that baptism. That's so special to see a dad baptize his son. If you don't know, for those of you who are new to Gateway, Jeremy's also one of our elders here, so he's in the leadership team of the church and you see his shepherd's heart, his pastor's heart, his teaching ability all coming out even in his son's baptism. So Jeremy, we're thankful for you and all you do here at Gateway as well. We'll go and turn to Ephesians chapter 1 this morning so we continue our journey through Paul's letter to the people in Ephesus and to us as well. now as we begin today, I want to begin with a quote that I ended with last week. And I hope you had time to think about it and ponder it, but if not, we're going to put it back up and let you think about it to start with today as well. So think about the idea of knowing God. This is from J.I. Packer's classic book, Knowing God, that's available in the Resource Center out in the hallway. But I want you to see these words once again and think about this with me as we begin. Packer writes, not many of us, I think, would ever naturally say that we have known God. The words imply a definiteness and a matter-of-factness of experience, which most of us, if we are honest, have to admit that we are still strangers. We claim perhaps to have a testimony and can rattle off our conversion story with the best of them. We say that we know God. This, after all, is what evangelicals are expected to say. But would it occur to us to say, without hesitation, and with reference to particular events in our personal history, that we have known God? I doubt it. For I suspect that most of us, that with most of us, our experience of God has never become so vivid as that. That's really convicting to think about, that we can say we know God, we can share our story, but to be able to reference particular events in our lives where we say we know God becomes a lot more challenging for many of us. So we saw last week, Paul was praying specifically about this for the people in Ephesus, that they would have knowledge of God. But not just knowledge, remember last week we said the word for knowledge was gnosis, but there's a preposition in front of it, epinosis, epinosis, that it's a deeper, fuller knowledge of God that he's praying for. And that's what we're going to continue with today as he prays for that. But now he's going to change not just from the knowledge of God, but praying for the experience of God's power in a believer's life. And so like we saw with, with last week with knowing God and fuller knowledge of God, Paul's going to now shift the focus of his prayer to a deeper experience of God's power. So I want to ask you, friends, have you experienced the power of God in your life? Have you experienced the power of God in your life? Like the quote, most of us could probably say, oh, sure, I believe that God was all-powerful. Oh, sure, I've experienced the power of God in my life. But can we say with definiteness, with matter-of-factness, yes, I've experienced the power of God. Yes, in reference to particular events in my history, in my story, I want to show you how I've experienced the power of God. I firsthand have experienced it, not just in a distance, but in my life and through my life, I've seen the power of God. Can we say with confidence, not only that we know God, but that we've experienced the power of God? Friends, if we are a child of God, if we really believe in Him, as we've already seen in recent weeks, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We belong to Him. But one of those blessings, one of those every spiritual blessings we'll see this morning is the experience of the power of God in our life. So this morning as we look at Ephesians chapter 1 again, I want you to see one main idea from our text, and that's simply this. God's plan is for you to experience His power at work in you. If you are a child of God, if you have believed and trusted in Christ, if you are believing in Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, then God's plan for you, part of His will, part of His plan for you, is for you to experience, to know fully, to have as your life experience His power, not just to work in a distance that you somehow know just intellectually, but that you would experience His power at work in your life. His power towards you, His power in you, His power through you. This is God's plan, not just for missionaries, not just for pastors, as for some super Christians or saints. This is God's plan. If you name the name of Christ, your normal Christian experience that God desires for you to have is this, for you to be experiencing His power at work within you. Now, with that said, I want to be careful about this because we're talking about our experience of God's power, but I want to remind us we're not the main character. This is not primarily about us and my experience and how I do better in life. This text is all about God. This text is about His glory, His greatness. And His greatness is highlighted by the fact that we have such a need for His power in our lives. So this is not about our power, it's about His power. So even as we think about application to how we experience His power, let's not miss that primarily and the first most importance here is this is about God and how great He is. So as we read our text this morning, look for how much you see the word His and hymns. Look for all the every's and all's. There are just so many descriptions of who God is in this text. And out of that flows then our experience of that. So this morning we'll be in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be focusing on verse 19 to 23. But for the flow of the prayer, I want us to go back to verse 16 to start this morning. So I'm going to ask you to stand please as we read the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 16. And I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Paul prays here for the people in Ephesus and for us. Verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that... The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in all the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all and all. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray this morning that once again you'll send your Holy Spirit to illuminate this text to us or even as Paul prayed for the people at Ephesus that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened God we ask that this morning as we study your word we ask Holy Spirit that you would make your word clear to us that you would Holy Spirit apply the Word of God to our lives so we might see how it changes us and transforms us but God beyond all that our prayer this day is that you would be glorified as we think about your greatness God I pray that today that you would receive great glory and God our hearts would be stirred towards you as we see how magnificent you are, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And I want you to see from these verses we read this morning that God's plan is for you to experience His power at work in you. So let's start with the main focus of this text, God's power. Do you notice all the His, 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 Him's, Him's, all's? You can just make quite a list out of this text of all you see about God here. In fact, as I read this, I almost sense Paul struggling to describe in words the greatness, the vastness of God, because our language falls so short to describe who God is. But let's look at this attempt to describe the power of God. Start back in verse 19 here. Because in verse 19, there's four different words that Paul uses to describe the power of God. He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might? So we see here Paul describing God's power in terms of power, working, greatness, and might. Four different words he uses. In fact, in the Greek, the word that we translate power is the Greek word, dunamis. You know, if that sounds familiar, we get an English word from that, dynamite. And so the word here, dynamite, dunamis, that we translate power, means raw strength or power. Paul is saying here in verse 19 that we would know the dynamite of God, if you will. The, the, just the strength, the power the, the, that he has in himself. The other word he uses here for it beyond power is the working of his great might. The word working here is the, is the Greek word energia. Sound familiar at all? Get the English word energy from that. God's immeasurable energy, his propulsion of power. That's not the only word Paul tries to grasp that to describe how great God is here. In verse 19, he also talks about the greatness here. And in the, in the Greek word greatness is the word kratos. Probably doesn't sound too familiar to us, but it's where we get the English word autocratic from. An autocrat is one who can take con- can conquer and take dominion and rule over something. And it's the word that describes God's immeasurable ability to do whatever God wants to do. That his absolute sovereignty over all things. And then the last word here in verse 19 that Paul pulls out for us is his great might. Might is the Greek word iskus. Sound familiar? No, it doesn't to me either. And I can't think of any English word that comes from that one. But that last word that we translate, might, literally means an ability physical force, mightiness. All these are just synonyms for God's great power. So take all that, God's power, his working, his greatness, his might, his dunamis, his dynamite, his energy, his autocratic, his kratos, his physical force. He so put all that together and Paul says that's still not enough. So how does he introduce all those four concepts? Beginning of verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of all those things I just mentioned? Not just enough to describe God's power in terms of his strength, his energy, his ability to have sovereignty, his physical force, his mightiness. Paul says, you yeah, take all that and now add immeasurable to the front of all those things. God's power is so big, it's impossible to quantify. God's power is so mighty, it's impossible to fully describe. And our language falls so short, the best that we can do is to try to put every word for power you can think of. Stick it together and now stick immeasurable at the front of it, and you still fall short of describing the mightiness and the power of our great God. And Paul knows we have trouble getting our minds around all that, so he's going to show us from human history where you most see the power of God on display, more so than even creation, more so than anything that prophesied to come. Where we see the power of God on greatest display? Well, verses 19 and 20, listen to these together. It's Paul's praying that our hearts would be enlightened to verse 19, to what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Now, where do we see it? Verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul's saying, yeah, you're having trouble getting your mind around the greatness and power of God. Yeah, I am too. So where do you see it? Go look to Christ. What would be impossible from any human standpoint, that God himself becomes a man, Emmanuel God with us, takes on human flesh, perfectly fulfills the law that no human on earth has ever been able to perfectly fulfill, but is willing to go to the cross as a perfect sacrifice to take the place of us so that all the holy wrath of God that we should receive goes on Christ. But he doesn't just die as our substitute. He now conquers death. He rises from the dead. He now has a glorious resurrection body and he's ascended back into heaven. He's saying, you want to see the power of God? Go look at the impossible being done and what happened with Christ. And lest we miss how powerful that is and how great Christ is and what he did, goes he on to describe Christ in verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come again do you notice all the terms paul is struggling it feels like to find enough terms to describe the greatness of god what's he saying about christ's greatness and power here well verse 21 is fascinating because notice those first words here rule authority power and dominion what is paul talking about there Now, I want to suggest Paul's talking about spiritual forces there, angels, demons. In fact, if you go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, I think it interprets it for us. We'll get to this eventually in our journey through Ephesians. But when we get to Ephesians 6, in the months to come, notice he says this, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, notice the terms we just read, rulers, authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What is Paul saying there in Ephesians 6? That our battle, our struggle to walk with God is not a struggle against other people. It's against the demonic. It's against a very, un, a very real but unseen world of angels and demons that we typically are blind to on that. Now go back to verse 21 in this. Christ might, his power is far above the same terms that we see in Ephesians 6. Rule, authority, power, and dominion. He's saying, listen... Christ's power surpasses everything else. Not even Satan himself, the chief of the demons, can even begin to compare to the power, the might, the energy, the greatness of Christ. Now why would this be so important to the people in Ephesus? Go way back seven weeks ago when we started Ephesians. What do you remember about the town of Ephesus? It was a place where there was so much occult. So many people practicing witchcraft. So much darkness there. And the people in that town lived in fear of the demonic lived in fear of all the, the the magical things, and he's saying you don't have to live in fear of that. That the greatness of God is so much bigger. The power of God is so much mightier than whatever demonic manifestations you've seen. Then whatever happened in that temple to Artemis, there's that's no power compared to the power of Christ, who we've just seen raised from the dead and ascended back into heaven. He is far above. All those things. And he goes on to describe in verse 21 even more of the greatness. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That his power surpasses that of the strongest leader. Friends, there is no person, no demon, no power, no army, no force that can begin to compare to the greatness and the power of our God. But even that is still insufficient in our language... ...to describe how powerful God is. So he goes on in verse 22. And he, the Father, put all things under his, Christ's feet... ...and gave him, Christ's head, over all things to the church. He goes back to that idea of Christ's power, his kratos... ...his power over all things, the ability to conquer and rule. And he's saying, in light of all this, where do we see it? That the Father has given Christ literally everything under his feet. This idea of his sovereignty, that God alone is all-powerful. No person, no demon... Every army in the world combined together, every military leader, you can put all of them together and they pale in comparison to the power and the might of our great God. And friends, we should not be surprised on that. Think back to the Gospel of John. What did we see over and over in John? God is so powerful, he speaks the universe into being. God is so powerful, He can turn water into wine. He can multiply food. He can walk on water. He can raise the dead. He can tell you the future because, well, He's ordained it. He can conquer death Himself. This power is, in the words of verse 19, immeasurable greatness. But friends, I want to caution us. This is not just a theoretical truth, not just a theological truth for us to know up here. This is a truth that should change our lives. It should transform us. It's a truth that should get down into our heart. Into our soul. God's plan for you, if you're a follower of Christ, is to experience this power. Not just know this power intellectually, but to experience this power at work in your life. Go back to verse 19 and notice who this power is directed to. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards who? Us. Towards who? Us. Towards us who believe. His power is directed towards us. This is not just some nice power in the distance for us to be like, wow, that's nice of God. He's all powerful. This is power that is directed towards us that we can. Experience. Paul hits that again at the end of the text. Look at verse 22. And again, he, the Father, put all things under his, Christ's feet and gave him his head over all things to who? To the church. The Father's given Christ to the church, to us collectively as the body of Christ. This power is for believers, both individually in our lives and also to experience in our community together. Friends, we need to be careful here and remind ourselves this is not a power to be experienced in this way for the whole world like we see over and over in John or even in Ephesians here. This is a power for those of us who follow Christ, who have trusted Him as our Lord and as our Savior. Friends, for those who reject this, who do not believe in Jesus, who are still under the, the, the weight of the wrath of God, their experience of God's power is going to be terrifying. Because their experience of God's power is going to be the power of judgment. And that's going to be a terrifying thing. I had a, a seminary professor many years ago say something that, that kind of rocked my world a little bit. He says, so often we think of hell as the absence of God... He said, it's not. He said, Scripture is very clear that God is everywhere. He said, hell is not the absence of God. Rather, hell is the presence of God with all of his wrath and power and fury directed against sinners who have offended his majesty with your back against the wall with nowhere to go. And so hell is not the absence of God where people just do what they want to do. Hell is the very presence of God and all of his immeasurable greatness power with people who have rejected him and offended him and sinned against him with their back against the wall with no mediator and nowhere to go. Friends, the all powerfulness of God is terrifying in judgment for those who don't believe. But friends, for those of us who believe, there's no fear in the power of God. Not as a source of pride for us, but out of humility that God has revealed himself to us. God's power is not terrifying to us if we're believers. It's hopeful. It's joyful. It's amazing. Because it's power directed towards us, in us, and through us. Friends, God's plan, if you're a follower of Christ, is for you to experience his power at work in you. And there's three specific ways, I believe, that His power is at work in us. So what difference does this really make? How do we experience the power of God? And we give you three, three ways, I believe, we as His followers experience His power. Number one, we experience His power in salvation. We experience His power in salvation. Friends, Romans 1.16 is a text you're probably pretty familiar with. But in Romans 1.16, it tells us, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Friends, if you believe in Christ, it's not because you're so smart and you figured out, not because you're so powerful. If you believe in Christ, it's because the gospel power, God's power through his word has come to you and you've experienced it. Friends, but let me remind us, God's saving power is not a one-time thing where God saves us from our sin and then we go do what we want to do. If we are in Christ, we are daily being held by Him. We are, as we saw in Ephesians 1 earlier, we're being sealed by the Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance. If we are in Christ, the power of God for salvation is our experience every day as He holds us, as He rejoices over us with singing, as we have the testimony of His Spirit that, yes, I am a child of God. Friends, if we are in Christ, we experience His power every day in salvation, not just the initial drawing, but the continual holding and the continual whispering of the Spirit in our ears, you are a child of God. Now, friends, it's not just in our salvation we experience the the power of God. If we're a child of God, the second way we experience His power is in our sanctification. In our sanctification. Sanctification is just a big word that means our growth in godliness. That means our growth in holiness. Sanctification is that process in our life where God makes us more like Him. Friends, God doesn't save us to leave us where we are. We don't pray a prayer because we don't want to go to hell. We follow Christ, we trust in Him, and He transforms us, He changes us, He makes us more and more into His image. I love how it's also described in Romans, when Paul wrote in that book, in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, put that one up for a there, we were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Friends, if we are in Christ, His plan for us is not to maintain our old way of life and then just not go to hell one day. If we're in Christ, his plan is to give us a newness of life. What does that mean? Well, verse 6 of Romans 6 gives us a little more insight as well into that one. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to... What's that next word? Nothing. The body of sin might be brought to nothing. Not just weakened, not just... Well, I'm not as bad as I used to be, but the body of sin in our life might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Friends, if we are in Christ, we experience His powers. He grows us in godliness. Friends, this is to be the normal Christian life. It's not to be the exception of, wow, that person is really strange. They really walk with the Lord. That's to be the normal Christian life for us. But friends, again, I want us to be careful here because our sanctification, our growth in godliness is not based on my power or your power. This is not that determination. I'm just going to try harder. If we grow in godliness, it's because His power is the one doing it in our lives as the word of god comes alive and convicts us of sin and shows us how to live as the spirit of god convicts us of sin in our life as we find strength and deliverance from strongholds that plagued us from years and years and years so i want to ask us if we're a child of god when was the last time you and i experienced the sanctifying power When was the last time you were reading this and it just came alive to you and you had a new vision, a new direction of how God wanted you to live or what he wanted you to do? When was the last time you read this and you just felt this weight of conviction from the Lord because you saw a sin that you've been blinded to for years and God spoke to you about it through his word or the spirit of God just woke you up and convicted you of some sin in your life and you knew what you had to do with it? Friends, when was the last time by God's strength you saw God just break you of whatever that stronghold is? Lying. Materialism, pornography, lust, whatever it might be, but when you had a sin in your life and the Spirit of God delivered you from it. Friends, if you are in Christ, His plan is to break all those sins strongholds and give you newness of life. If you are in Christ, that should be the normal experience of day by day the Spirit of God breaking sins in your life and making you more and more like Christ. Friends, Hebrews chapter 12 gives us a great insight into how this happens and why it has happened. So Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6. Just listen to these words. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son. Now stop there. Remember what we just saw in Ephesians 1, that because of what He's done, we now belong to Him. We are now His children who were His adopted sons and daughters. Friends, if we are His adopted children, that means He's going to sanctify us. Friends, if there is no sanctification in your life, if there's no conviction when you sin, now I need, you need to go back to that first one. Have I really experienced the power of God in salvation? Because so many people are trusting and praying a prayer or a baptism or walking an aisle or being involved in the church or serving in some way. But friends, if they, based on Hebrews 12, if there is no conviction of sin, no discipline from the Lord, then we're not in Christ no matter what external things we do. Carry on with Hebrews 12, 6. He chastised every son he, he loves. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? We'll keep going through it. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children And not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. And then verse 11 For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Friends, part of those every spiritual blessings we receive in Christ is not the blessing we run to the most, is it? It's the blessing of discipline, the blessing of sanctification as God grows us in Godliness. So friends, if we are in Christ, we should experience His power. It's His plan for us to experience His power in in salvation every day, in sanctification, but there's a last one I want you to see. If we're in Christ, His plan is for us to experience His power working through us to others. You want to think about it in terms of relationship to others or ministry to others. His plan is for His power to be at work through us in other people's lives. We've already seen that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 a few weeks ago, that he reveals to us his plan to unite all things. and He reveals it because he wants to use us in that. We've already looked a few weeks ago at 2 Corinthians 5, that we are his ambassadors as he makes his appeal through us. His plan, the normal Christian life, is for God's power to be at work through us, to other people as well. So the normal Christian life, friends, is for you and I to be speaking the truth in love to one another. Part of the love we saw last week for the body of Christ is that God works through us to encourage one another. God works through us to bring conviction to one another. God works through us to build up the body of Christ. That also means God works through us in His power to draw the lost to Himself. We already saw before in 2 Corinthians 5, He could write in the sky, He could proclaim the gospel however He wants to. He's chosen to work through us as His mouthpiece And so are we seeing the power of God at work in us and through us as he works through our words, really his words he gives to us, to build up the body and to share his hope with the lost? So I want to ask you on that, friends. Have you experienced God's power working through you? Have you experienced the burden that God puts on your heart for another believer who needs encouragement, who needs even a word of loving correction to go to them? Have you experienced the burden when God puts in your heart for a non-believer he put in your path who needs the message of salvation to send you out to share that with them? And then have you found the strength, the power of God at work as you speak to them as he opens their eyes as it's his work being done and you're just simply the vessel he chose to work through? Friends, that is what God plans for us. His plan for us if we believe is to experience his power at work in us in salvation, in sanctification and then through us in ministry to other people. Listen to verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might? Now, just two quick clarifications on this. First of all, friends, if you're in Christ, you already have this power in you. There's not some second blessing you need to go after. If you're in Christ, you already have this. Go back to verse 18. Notice how Paul's praying. He says, I do not... Let me go back to verse 18. He prays that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 17. Then verse 18. Having the eyes of your heart in Lightened that you may know, you may grow in knowledge. He's not saying, ask God for more power. He's praying that you would know the power already at work in you because if you're in Christ, you already have the Holy Spirit in you. You already have all the power of God in your life if you are in Christ because you have the Holy Spirit in you. So my encouragement to you is not pray, God, I need more power. Your prayer is, God, you've already put the power in me because the Holy Spirit's in me. Now, Lord, I want to experience that. Would you work in me and work through me? But the second thing I want you to do, not only do you already have this power in you if you're in Christ, this is not just some dream or this, some wish. This is God's reality for you. And God's reality for you is bigger than what you can imagine. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. This will be a fun text down the road. Now to him who is able to do about what you expect? No, to do what? Far more? Not again, listen to how Paul's struggling for us here. God's not just going to do these basic things. He can do not just more, but far more abundantly. Like, how many adjectives can we put in a row here to describe what God can do? It's far, it's more, and it's far more abundant than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. And in verse 21, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Friends, God can give you more security in Christ than you ever dreamed you could have. God can give you greater sanctification than you ever dreamed or imagined. If there's some sin that you're holding on to that you don't think God can ever deliver you from, I'm here to assure you from the promise of Scripture, if you're in Christ, you can do far more abundantly. than whatever that thing is that's plagued you for decades of your life, in the power of God, He can do far more than you imagine. If you think God really can't work through me to speak the truth to another believer, to minister and share Christ to someone who's lost, I can assure you on the promise of Word God, He can do far more through you than you ever imagined as you're faithful to share Christ with others. And friends, he can get far more glory from your life than you ever dreamed was possible. Why? Because it's not based on our feeble attempts. Because it's his power, his immeasurably great power that's at work in you and through you, this power that's described as towards you. So the question is, if we already have that power in us and it, he can do far more than we imagine, how, how do we actually experience that? It's actually pretty simple. We ask for it. There's not something you and I can manufacture. We can't go to enough conferences, read enough books to get this. But this is the, what God chooses to do in response to us asking for it. Again, listen to how Paul prays here in this. Again, he begins way back in verse 16. He's remembering them in their prayers. He's praying in verse 17 that God would give them the Holy Spirit. And as they have the Holy Spirit, what happens? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. And then what does you know? There were several things last week. But then having your hearts enlightened you may know, now verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe his plan his, is for you to ask for it. God wants to give you the power to live a godly life. God wants to put the power in you to work through you to minister to others. God is at work. The question is, are we asking for it? So, friends, could I end with this question? When was the last time we sincerely got on our knees and face before the Lord and said, Lord, would you give me a better understanding of your of who you are? Would you give me a better understanding of what you want to do in me and through me. God, would you right now convict me, change me, grow me? God, are there any areas of my life that I'm not growing in that you want to sanctify and grow? God, would you work through me? Would you give the power? Would you use the power that's already in me through the Holy Spirit to minister to others, to build up the body of Christ, to share with the lost? Father, would you do this? From when was the last time we asked God that we would know this reality? And I fear that sometimes while we don't experience this power, this immeasurably great power that is supposed to be ours, this goes back to what it just says in James 4.2. You do not have because you do not ask. This what would happen in our lives is we, as adopted sons and daughters of God, get on our face before God this week and say, God, I trust that your word is true, that your plan is for me to experience your power at work in me and through me. So God, this week, not for me, but for you, would you, if your power work in me, sanctify me? Would you this week, with your power, work work through me to build up the body of Christ, to work through me to share the hope of Christ with the lost? And just to see what God does is we as His children go to Him with this very biblical, very honest prayer and saying, God, I need your power work in me. Would you do it? I just encourage this week, pray that for yourself. Pray that for your family, your spouse, your kids. Pray that for your grandkids. Pray that for your friends, your roommates. Pray that for one another. And let's just see what God does Is our prayer for one another is that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened, that we would know the hope to which he's called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and we would know, friends, we would grow in knowing the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Would you pray with me? Father God, I am so thankful that God, you don't leave us striving in our own strength. and I'm thankful that You don't call us just to work harder and just grip on tighter and try with white-knuckle determination to live for You. But, God, You tell us that if we're in You, Your Holy Spirit, who is fully God, who has immeasurably great power of God Himself, is at work within us. So, God, for myself and for these precious brothers and sisters, God, I pray this week that You would grow our experience of, grow our understanding of Your power at work in us. God, would You forgive us for so often trying in our own strength, to follow you, trying in our own strength to grow in godliness and break sins, trying in our own strength to minister to one another, trying in our own strength to share you with others. God, would you forgive us for that because, Lord, we are so weak and so needy and yet we try to act like we've got it all figured out and we've got the power. God, would you this week in our lives remind us that we don't have any power in us apart from what you've given to us. Would you this week captivate our hearts and our minds, our affections and our thoughts this week with how immeasurably great you are, how you are far above all things and how immensely great your power is. And God, I pray this week through your sanctifying work of your Holy Spirit, you would take our eyes off of ourself. You would take our eyes off of self-reliance and put them on you, Lord Jesus. That we'd experience your power working in us and through us. And Lord, I'm convinced as that happens, God, we will find such great joy, such great relief, such great hope. But God, you'll receive great glory. And we'll give you the praise for it. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?